0: Well, isn't it crazy how fast summer has gone by already? I mean, we're already past the 4th of July. It's amazing. And we're already to the end of a pretty long sermon series that we've been in called Relationship Goals. And in this series, we've been talking about how God wants us to not just be good, but to be great In all of our relationships and so we've talked about things like how to be great friends how to be great parents how to have a great marriage how to be great co-workers and now today we are going to talk about how to have a great family now Jesus himself in his time on earth experienced what it was like to be in a family Jesus had a mom and dad he had brothers and sisters and just stop for a moment and imagine what it might have been like to have Jesus as your brother. You know, it gets to the end of the term and your parents say, all right, everybody get out your report cards. And, you know, they go through it. Well, Jesus got all A's. Now let's see how the rest of you did. Or maybe he would say, you know, your dad would say, go up and clean your rooms, and, you know, of course, Jesus' is spotless, but let's go check the rest of them. Or, you know, maybe you're in his class at school, and you're dissecting a frog, and the teacher has to say, Jesus, do not raise your frog from the dead again, right? You know, I think it would have been challenging, yet it would probably be pretty fun to be in Jesus' family. Now, the thing is, being great In your family doesn't come by accident. Creating a great family doesn't happen by chance. You know, by accident, families remain average at best. But to have a great family means you have to fight for it, you have to work for it, you have to build upon it. And there are all sorts of influences and forces in our society and in our culture today that are fighting against families. Now, in the book of Nehemiah, which is in the Old Testament, the people of Israel had been taken into captivity for many years, and they return to Jerusalem, and it's completely in ruins. But Nehemiah steps up to lead and to honor God, and they start to rebuild and restore everything that's been torn down. They rebuild the walls around the city, and as they do that, they see their enemies gathered, ready to invade. And so Nehemiah stands up in front of his community, in front of his friends, and he says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And I think this is a reminder that every one of us, when it comes to our relationships and when it comes to our families, needs to take a stand. And to do that, we also need to have a plan and we need to be willing to fight for our relationships, to fight for our families. And the truth is, your family is worth fighting for. And no matter where you're at today, it's not too late to do this because you can change and you can heal, and you can forgive. You can invite God to come and start the rebuilding and restoration process, no matter where you find yourself today. Now, many years ago, I heard Pastor Rick Warren give an amazing message about how to have an awesome family. And he talked about how in his 40 years of pastoring and counseling people, he had identified four common traits that every awesome or great family has. And so I'd like to share these four characteristics or these four traits with you today. First off, great families play together. Great families have fun. They enjoy doing life together. But when I look around at families today, including my own, so oftentimes we are simply too busy, too scheduled, worn out, stressed out, and oftentimes way too serious. But families need to have fun together. You see, average families are all work and no play. Families are not meant to be businesses where the parents are the CEOs and the kids are the employees. Families aren't meant to be a boot camp where parents are like drill sergeants. And with all the articles and books and resources and websites that are out there, our families are not meant to be lab experiments where we somehow try to gather all the perfect information together to create the perfect family. Now the Bible, of course, talks again and again about the value of hard work. But the Bible also talks about the importance of having fun. King Solomon is one of the wisest men to ever live on earth. And he made this observation in the book of Ecclesiastes. After he was searching for meaning everywhere he could, he says to us, so I recommend having fun because there is nothing better for people in this world than to enjoy life. Now, take note of that. God wants us to enjoy life, not just endure life. Now, oftentimes, the church has been guilty of being way too serious. Churches oftentimes put all of their emphasis on rules and regulations and legalism. Instead of celebrating that God is the creator of fun, humor, jokes, and all play. You know, early childhood people who study early childhood development have told us that play is actually the equivalent of work for children, that they need games and recess and free time where they can develop lifelong skills and connections. And as families, we need to make sure that our kids feel loved. And one of the ways that often happens is through having fun together. Now, when I was a kid, my parents loved to take us on what they called mystery tours. And it could be at any time of the day, any time of the year. We never knew when they were coming. And some of them turned out better than others. And of course, it's the ones that didn't quite go right that are the ones that my brother and sister and I love to talk about even still today. So all three of us were competitive swimmers, And one night, dead of winter, it's pitch black, we had just gotten done with swim practice. We get into the car and they say, we're on a mystery tour. And we headed downtown St. Paul to the winter carnival to go see all the ice sculptures, which was great except our hair froze solid. And I remember my brother reached out and broke off a piece of my sister's hair. But it was awfully fun and we still talk about it today. It's important to have fun with your family, to enjoy life together. Now, there's a truth that's often been said that people don't always remember what you say, but they always remember how you made them feel. Now, that goes for acquaintances, it goes for friends, but I think it goes doubly for our kids. Our kids don't always remember everything we say, but they are certainly going to remember how we make them feel. Now, King Solomon also gets more specific about who we're supposed to have fun with. In Ecclesiastes 9.9, he says, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. So this is to dads out there. One of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is to love their mom well. When a father shows love for a mother, it gives great peace and comfort and security to your children. It's why two weeks ago when we talked about great marriages, we talked about how it's so important to have a regular date night because you need to model a healthy and fun relationship for your children. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, and it reminds us, children are a gift from God. Now sometimes a gift you'd like to return, right? But a gift nonetheless. And a gift is something that's meant to be enjoyed Your kids are to have fun with. They're not just a project. They're not your cheap labor. They're not for you to live vicariously through. Now, when I ask my kids about what they like doing with us the most, it's things like playing games, not video games, but board games and card games where we sit down together. It's doing stuff outdoors, going on hikes, picnics, going swimming. And I think the common denominator there is spending quality time together as a family. You know, kids they really don't need more stuff. They often don't even want more stuff. What they really want is your attention, your time and your focus. You know, when it comes down to it, love when it comes to a marriage, comes to a family or a friendship, love is really spelled T I M E. It's our time that shows how much we love other people. And so great families love to have fun together. Now secondly, great families are always growing. You know, it's just like when you plant a garden and you want it to grow, you need to invest time into that. You need to care for it, weed it, water it. We need to encourage lifelong growth in our families. We need to help every family member find their gifts that they've been given by God and find ways to use them to bless bless others. We need to help each other continue to grow. If your family stops growing, it will become stuck and stale and boring. And so great families are developing new interests and they're curious about life and they're looking for where God is leading, where they can go make a difference in the world. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Now, there are at least four types of growth, intellectual, physical, social, and spiritual. And every single one of us needs to be growing in all of those four areas. We need to ask big questions in our families. Things like, where do we want to be a year from now? Or what do we want to prioritize in our life in this next season? New relationships, new interests, a new commitment to where God is leading, a new place where we can use our gifts to glorify God. Now, researchers agree that most key life skills that we need as we grow up we learn from our families. And many of the problems that we experience as adults, especially in regard to social behavior, are the result of not learning those lessons as a kid. And so here are just four important things we need to learn from our families. First, we need to learn what to do with our feelings. From a young age, we need to learn to recognize our feelings and to be able to express them in a healthy way, to take ownership of them and not just stuff them away. You know, way too many marriages these days split up because people don't learn how to handle their feelings. And one of the worst things we can say to kids is stop crying because kids need to learn to express their emotions and not to deny them. Well, we also need to learn how to handle conflict If you don't learn this well, it's going to have a negative impact on pretty much every relationship throughout your life. Kids need to see parents disagree and then work it out together. The problem is most people learn to either hold it inside or explode. But we need to learn from a young age how to be able to handle conflict in a healthy way. Well, we also need to learn how to handle losing we will all experience losing throughout our life. No one wins all the time even though we wish we could. I mean even look at pro teams. It's often better to get a loss somewhere along the way instead of going 18 and 0 in the regular season and then losing in the playoffs. We need to treat losses that kids have as a big deal. You know, in our home we've had numerous fish funerals and they're buried out in the backyard. Kids need to learn how to handle loss. We also need to learn how to get knocked down and then get back up again. Proverbs 24, 16 says, even if good people fall seven times, they will get back up again. We also need to learn what values matter the most. We need to learn what's really important in life and what isn't. Because the world has a whole set of values. You know, the world values how you look, telling us that we always need more money, that sex is everything, that we need more status and more power, and we're bombarded with these values in movies, television, music, in every type of media. And so what kind of values does your family hold up? What kind of values does your family teach? So how do we learn these things? Well, one thing we know is we learn best through example. Jesus said, since I have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Now do as I have done to you. Kids need to see things modeled. Non-Christians need to see Christians model the Christian life. We learn best through watching people's example. But we also learn through our conversations. We need to take the time to talk things through, to have those difficult conversations. Deuteronomy 6-7 says, you must teach God's commandments to your children and talk about them when you are at home or out for a walk, at bedtime, and first thing in the morning. Spiritual conversations can happen all the time, not just on Sunday morning or Thursday night or Wednesday night. Don't just spend your time talking about school and sports and homework, all those things. They're all important. But take the time to have spiritual conversations, to talk about faith as a family. Now, how don't we learn these things? One, we don't learn through criticism. Being critical and condemning of each other never works. It never changes a person for the better criticizing always focuses on the negatives, not on the positives. Ephesians 6.4 says, don't keep on scolding or nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Instead, bring them up with the loving training and teaching of the Lord. We don't learn through criticism. And also, don't compare. Anytime you compare any person or any kid to someone else, It's a huge mistake because every one of us is created unique and original, and we're created on purpose by God. So if someone says to you, why can't you be more like so-and-so? Just answer, because I am not them. Galatians 6.4 says, each person should judge his own actions and not compare himself with others. Then he can be proud for what he himself has done. Well, number three, great families protect each other. They support and help each other through the ups and downs of life. No matter which family member is struggling, they join together to hold that person up. If you ask kids, young kids, why they most love their families, Most often, they respond something like, because they take care of me. Kids instinctively know they need someone to take care of them. And so families need to be a safe place to experience all that life throws our way. We're all going to face big changes, big losses, big disappointments, even rejection. And we need support and love. Sometimes the smartest thing you can do for your family even is to go see a professional counselor to help through some of those times. You see, it's all about safeguarding and protecting your family and making it a safe place. Fourth and finally, great families care about others. Great families see themselves as a small part of God's whole creation and his whole plan. They don't just focus on themselves, they focus on others and their needs. It's so important for us to get outside of ourselves and to care for just more than just our family. Teach your kids that it's not about them, it's not about us. We're not the center of the universe. Teach your kids that we all have a God-given purpose and that he's wired them up to make an impact for him. Now, my parents modeled this for us from a young age. We regularly visited people in nursing homes. We had kids in crisis come and stay at our homes. They insisted that we went on mission trips with our youth group. And year after year, day after day, they taught me that in our family, we help others. And so in my family today, we have a distant relative who lives in Indonesia. His name is Zibi. He's nine years old, and every day he's being fed healthy meals. He's getting a great education, and he's being discipled in his faith. And it costs us $38 a month. That's it. We get to write him letters. He writes us letters. We get to send pictures. I can't encourage you enough to sponsor a child through any organization, Compassion International, World Vision, because it helps bring home the point that great families care about others. Now I also wanna acknowledge that there are many people who grow up in or still are a part of difficult or even disappointing family situations. And what I want you to remember if that's you is that God is a God of redemption, that he's a God of healing and fresh starts, that you can be the one to break the cycle that you get to pick the legacy that you will build in and through your family. You can make a choice even today to commit your family to God. I love what Joshua says in Joshua 24:15. He says, "Choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord." You can make a choice to support and encourage all of the families that intersect with your life. You can be a cheerleader for all of the families around you. You can be a person of prayer, an encouragement to the others around you. And no matter what your story is, no matter what your background is, no matter what your family situation is, also know this truth. God wants to adopt you into his family through Jesus Christ. That's where you belong. And that means none of us are beyond hope. Every one of us is welcome in his family. Even if you're the black sheep, Jesus tells the story of the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go find the one lost sheep. If we surrender our heart and our will to him, he will make us completely new, and adopt us into his family. Now if just even hearing the word family brings up feelings of disappointment, or pain, or shame, or loneliness, God says to you today, let me show you what a real, loving father looks like. And let me show you what a completely secure and loving family looks like. I will adopt you as my own Now, because of God's love and his design, family can be so much bigger than just our blood relatives, our immediate family. We can expand our family all around us. We have the opportunity to invite others to experience God's love and his care. Every year, almost every year, we celebrate Easter with my wife Lexi's parents. And we celebrate Thanksgiving with my sister up in Fargo. And there's something that both of these celebrations almost always have in common. And that's that they almost always invite others outside of the family to join in our celebration. You know, they meet someone who doesn't have a family of their own to celebrate with. They they meet someone who's struggling in life, who's kind of down on their luck. And they invite them to come and celebrate the holidays with our family. And it's such a great picture for our kids about what family is really about, that we can always make more room at the table. And finally, when we're a part of the family, we can't help but take on the family likeness. Now, ever since I was a kid, I've had people tell me how much I look like my dad. I've had people come up to me before whom I've never met or ever seen in my life, and they'll say, you must be Nathan's son. My brother and I, though, are looking more and more alike as well. And he's eight years younger than me. So a couple years ago, my dad was preaching at his church, and he put a picture of the two of us up on the screen for his congregation and kind of talked about us. And afterwards, he texted both of us, and he said, lots of people were asking me if you two were twins. Isn't that great? And my brother texted back, well, it's much better news for one brother than the other. (laughs) But you see, when we're a part of God's family, we also take on the family likeness. And it comes through the power and the transformation of the Holy Spirit. You see, as we follow Jesus each day, the Spirit molds us and makes us more and more into the image of Christ. And through that process, we're able to release the burdens and the hurts and the pain and the shortcomings of our family. And each day we can become more and more like Jesus as we relate to others. And you know what? That's the best family likeness that there is. So, church, let's keep on fighting for our families. And let's follow Jesus closely every day. And let's represent the family of God wherever we go. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the family that you invite us into, your perfect family. And God, we thank you for the families that we have here on earth. We know that they are flawed. We know that oftentimes there are a lot of complicated feelings around them. But God, we thank you that you can use even them for good And so, God, wherever we're at with our families today, I ask that you bring healing, that you bring encouragement, that you bring empowerment, that you bring clarity, that you bring inspiration, whatever we need. So that we can even better live out your mission together. God, help us to fight for our families. Help us to take the steps that you're calling us to so that we can leave a legacy that brings even more people into your kingdom, into your family. God, we're so thankful for all that you are and for all that you've done. And especially, God, we're thankful for Jesus. And so we pray these things in the powerful name of your son. And let's all say together, amen. Well, today is Pastor Carol's last Sunday here at Calvary. And I know all of us are so thankful for her ministry here with us over the past nine plus years. And personally, I am thankful for her partnership in the gospel in my time here. And Carol has some words that she would like to share with all of you today.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad to be with you this day. Many of you know that I grew up here at Calvary. And yes, my faith was birthed here at Calvary. There's so many people I could thank for my time here, but I especially want to reach out to those Sunday school teachers who are still attending Calvary, those VBS teachers, men and women who touched my heart and showed me the love of Jesus and helped me learn God's Word. And so I'm so grateful for them and all that they did. And there's so many memories. Where do I start? Well, as a three-year-old that I remember coming to church every Sunday, and I always drew a picture for Senior Pastor Henry Nielsen. Now, those of you who were around then know that Henry was not a children's pastor in any form. But he would get down on my level, and he'd say, there's my girl. And he encouraged me every week. And I'd bring these pictures, heaven knows what he did with them, but I do remember doing that. And I remember also learning to sing this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And I think for many of us, we are letting our light shine throughout our entire lives, and that's what faith is about. And I hope that all of you are letting your light shine too. But I remember as a child singing that song, and I'd always say, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. So that's been reverberating in my heart forever. Well many of my faith milestones happened here at Calvary. I received my first communion here. I was also confirmed here. In fact, I was the first group that was confirmed in October. Now I have to just say normally we were confirmed in May and I was a little upset. I thought I'd be done with church in May, but no, we had to wait until October. But you know what? It was a wonderful summer because All of us got together, and we had a strong community and bond, and so it was very helpful during that time. During confirmation, we had a lot of fun. We went on retreats. I remember doing paper drives, and some of you probably aren't even aware of what a paper drive is all about. Basically, it meant sitting in a semi in the back of the parking lot here at Calvary, and Calvary folks would bring paper to you. And by working there, you were able to defray your costs to go to camp and go on the various retreats. During confirmation, we also had to volunteer to build up our hours of service and to learn of what it meant to serve in the church. So many of us had to serve as ushers and greeters. We had to volunteer in the nursery, and we also had to volunteer to be acolytes. Now, most people don't even know what an acolyte is anymore, but we had to put a robe on, and basically we walked up front and we lit the candles. That was our main job, and then we sat up front with all the pastors. Now, keep in mind, You're like in 8th and ninth grade, and you're having to sit up front in front of everybody, including my mother. I remember my mom being mortified that I was rolling my eyes and looking upward, and she told me, you can't do that, you need to look straight ahead. So I remember some of those fun times here at Calvary, but also those serving times that helped me grow as a person as well. And of course, as many of you know, back on July 11th, 2011, I was ordained and called to serve as the Associate Pastor for Adult Ministries here at Calvary. And I have to just tell you, that was a great privilege and it's been a great blessing to serve here for the past nine years. You know, very few pastors get the honor of serving in their home church. It's a big deal. I will miss each and every one of you. I know I'm going to miss all of you, but I want to just say this. I'm not falling off the side of the earth. I'm not moving away. I'll be around, and I'd love to do coffee. So give me a call or text me sometime. However, I do know that many of you, in the kind letters I've received, and the many emails that have been sent, that many of you are curious, where am I going? What's my next step? And some of you are actually concerned that you don't have a job. And I want to talk about that for just a minute. You see, faith comes down to something called trust and obey. And I think there's three words that go with faith. It's trust, obey, and pray. We need to trust that God has a plan for our lives and we need to step out in faith when he tells us to go. Oftentimes we're told to stay and be ready, but go when God calls. And that's exactly what I'm doing. So I'm trusting and obeying and I'm praying. And I would include, encourage you to pray for me as well. You know, the future is bright for Calvary. It's bright for me. It's bright for each and every one of us. But sometimes that future isn't real clear. It might be dimly seen. But God knows the future he has for me for you and for calvary and that's exciting to be a part of that you know cory Tenboom, she wrote the hiding place they hid jews during world war ii and their whole family were thrown into concentration camps because of that and her whole family died except for her and she had great faith and here's what she said she said never be afraid of an unknown future with a known god Never be afraid of an unknown future with a known God. And that's something I'm giving to you today, too. We all have to be prepared for that. We all have to know that God has a plan for us. And t- Jeremiah 29 11 is another Bible verse I want to leave with, leave with you because God gives each of us a hope and a future. I pray that Calvary will continue. To be that mission focused church, it always has been, where you reach out to the lost and the least, and where you create a place where people can share their faith and where we can bring people and come together and serve you. You know, as Christians, we never really say goodbye, do we? We just say, see you later. So that's what I'm gonna say to you, see you later. And as my Norwegian grandmother, my grandma Cora, used to always say, she'd say, tuck for alt, thanks for everything. To God be the glory. Amen.
0: Church, we've heard these wonderful words from Pastor Carol, and we want to send her out with a blessing. Now, a lot of times when we do blessings as a church, we like to lay hands on someone, but because of our present pandemic, we uh, aren't going to be able to do that, but we still want to pray, and wherever you are, you can still reach out a hand, and you can pray a blessing over Pastor Carol. So will you pray with me right now? So God, we give you thanks for Pastor Carol, for her ministry here at Calvary, and really all the places that she has gone. We thank you for the impact that she has had on so many of us, for her faithful preaching and teaching of the gospel, how she's walked alongside so many of us through ups and downs in life. And God, we thank you for just her influence and for her impact here at Calvary. God, we pray for her as she follows your lead. We pray that uh, you would just make clear to her what the next steps are. We, help her, or we pray that she would just trust you fully and she would walk right confidently towards you and with you, knowing that you have a great call on her life, that you have great ministry yet for her to do. And uh, we just trust and we claim that for her today. And so, God, we bless her, her time here, and we bless her as she leaves us. And we're thankful again for all that you have done in and through her in this place. And so, together, we all say together, in the powerful name of Jesus, amen.